at no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. not entirely true we do have some rational thoughts today even some fun ones some interesting ones some relevating relevating not relevant ones and i'm going to introduce to you a guy that i've known for a while and man it's it may take me a minute to introduce he has a lot of accolades here um our guest today is an award-winning author of the heartwarming business stable the unexpected tour guide um he's been a guest on of international sales such shows such as the go-givers influencers making a significant impact hosted by our good friend Bob Berg and The Buyer's Mind with Jeff Shore. Now, this gentleman has been a quoted source for publications such as Sales and Marketing Management Magazine, National Federation of Independent Business, and Peak Sales Recruiting. For over 30 years, this guy has coached and led sales teams in multiple industries and has been among the top sales performers and leaders in the nation. You'll find out why in a minute here. For 10 years, he's been a state sales manager in the Texas Gulf Coast area with the Fortune 500 insurance company you've heard of, Aflac. So at the end of 2013, Jeff, see, that's good branding, isn't it? Jeff led field sales management with Aflac to pursue his love of writing, speaking, and sharing success principles around the world. His book is called The Unexpected Tour Guide. And man, this is a good one. You got to get this book. It's received um, endorsements from best-selling authors such as Brian Tracy, Bob Berg, and Tom Hopkins, as well as sales leaders such as Paulus Amos, former president of Aflac, and Michael Tomlinson, the former senior VP and director of US Sales and Aflac. Now, additionally, the Unexpected Tour Guide has received the bronze level award in business table category from the prestigious, prestigious Axiom Business Book Awards in 2015. He's earned a BS in education from Jacksonville State University, uh, M&M from Texas, uh, an M&M from Texas A&M. That's a lot of M, that's like, that's like candy. Um, M&M from Texas A&M University Commerce and a CLF from the American College and is a business professional member of the National Speakers Association. <sighs> Mouthful. I'd like to introduce you my good friend and mentor, best-selling author, Jeff West. How are you doing today, Jeff? Doing well, my friend. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. That's a tongue twister. M&M from A&M. Is that, is that, uh, Masters of, of manipulation. What is that? Eminem. Master of music composition in my case. Music. Now we didn't even, that's brand new for me. Yeah. You're the bachelor's is a music ed and the master's is a music composition. Oh my gosh. Those two degrees and, and $5 will get me a cup of coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> hey, now my, my, my daughter's in the music industry. She's uh, in, in charge of all the music uh, curriculum for one of the largest charter school networks in the, in the country. Wow. So, you know, but you know, it's my my nephew actually was so good. He's in an orchestra and a symphony, and and uh, wasn't in Kalamazoo. He moved down Missouri, I think. Anyway, enough about music. I love music. Uh, it doesn't strike me. I'm not surprised that you have got that talent because you're creative. Um, but I want to talk about two things to get out the start here. Number one, um, your book, which I was fortunate enough to to help you do nothing because it was so good. It didn't need any writing or editing. We did a cover. Um, but man. The business fable, that was like a really, really great story. Why did you choose to do a business fable as opposed to a how-to book? Well, basically, it's because uh, stories sell and stories teach. And it's my personal favorite way to learn and to communicate. Uh, I remember the, some of the first sales books that I was ever given, uh, Ogmandino books, like The Greatest yeah. Salesman in the World. and uh, right. just, There's so many good ones out there, but people... 
when they get a how-to book, they will often do well and they'll do, uh, they will be successful at implementing a lot of the steps. But oftentimes when it comes to a business fable, it touches them so much in their heart that it connects that emotional side of the equation with the logic of what they're trying to do and they retain it. It, it fuses in what they're doing. And there's, this is obviously a business stable with a little bit of you know, magic to it. So, um, you know, were you, did you do the Hemingway thing? Were you like uh, getting really happy when you wrote that or just came to you? <laughs> I'm curious. No uh, judgment. Not since college. No. <laughs> but, I put alcohol, Jeff. Okay, whatever. It's, it's legal. Okay, well, maybe okay. with that. Maybe with that. I said Hemingway. I didn't say uh, Cheech and Chong. But <laughs> yeah, it's Jeff and Doug's best movie or next movie or whatever. Uh, yeah. The the whole idea with it, uh, the, the story, of course, as you know, and by the way, i got to brag on you. You didn't tell, you, you acted like you had very little to do with this book. You were such a good mentor to me in uh, getting that book together. Yeah, it may not have needed as much editing in, as a lot of situations, but you were so instrumental with me in, in knowing, okay, how to, to position the book, how to do so many things with the book. You were instrumental with helping me uh, know how to go about getting the right endorsements. I mean, uh, you, you don't, shell, don't sell yourself short. I know you're a humble guy, but don't sell yourself short. You really did a great job for me. Wow. Uh, Thank and, you very much. I appreciate it. Well, you're, uh, it's my honor. Uh, the, the story, I, truthfully, it uses a lot of the sales situations that I was in in my life, learning how to become a better sales professional. And then I took real characters out of my life too. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the sales manager in the story is a gentleman named Jack Amberson. Uh, and he was in real life, my first sales manager and uh, the character that we wrote in there, uh, it was exactly like him. I got his permission, not only to use his character as a person, but to use his name. And he was, he was awesome about that. As a matter of fact, about two weeks ago, I was actually back in the state of Alabama. I had a couple of speaking events there and Jack and I spent the day together and, and he's just such a neat person, but he was a real person. Uh, the story, of course, revolves around a young salesman and a homeless man that kind of changes his total perspective. And uh, the homeless man was actually someone that I knew in Houston. And so it's, it's uh, there, it, a lot of stories in my life that have actually touched my heart. I worked into the, to the parable itself. And uh, uh, it, was, it was one of those things that once I started it, I couldn't stop it. It just kept coming to me. Uh, and I, I think that's a lot of the way it happens for a lot of people. And it was an absolute joy. And I, the, the funniest story about it, my wife uh, was reading it in the first chapter. She started late one night on the first chapter and then she went on to bed. The next night she starts reading the manuscript and she's reading it in bed. And at about one o'clock in the morning, she elbows me and she says, Dad, gum you, I could not go to sleep. I couldn't put this thing down. <laughs> it's, I'm not sure if it's, um, I can't pinpoint why it's a page turner right away. I have to read it again. It's been a couple of years now, but that is an amazing um, gift to be able to craft a story and have it keep going. Um, you know, it, professional Hollywood screenwriters get paid big bucks to pull it off with breadcrumbs and open loops, all those things we know to, to keep it going. In your case, it's, I'm just sorry. It's a perfect blend of not just storytelling, but character development and this, this mystery that, as you know, from sales and marketing and our psychology, like, right. we got to figure this thing out. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's key, key number one, folks, if you want to, you know, convey, sell, influence, persuade more, you've got to have that ability to not, you know, give them a little bit and make them, make them want 
come to you and all that stuff. So that's brilliant stuff, Jeff. Um, Thank you. You uh, you spent a lot of time at Aflac, and I, I love you know we all love the duck, of course. Um, you had a long career there in sales and working with them, and whatnot. How difficult was it for you to say, okay, um, love you guys, I'm going to go off on my own? It was uh, one of those decisions in life that it was just time. You, it was uh, the time I, I, I was blessed to be in a position where I could do that. Uh, and, I, and I can't underestimate the blessing of having that as a choice. Uh, but the career gone well, uh, life was going well. But I just, I have such a passion to get out there and work with uh, especially young salespeople and and uh, coach people in entrepreneurship. So it was just such a passion and it was time for me to make a change. I had literally, at the time I made that change, I'd been in sales and sales leadership for close to 30 years, I guess it was at that point, 20 of that actually with Aflac. And I was a district manager for eight years, a regional manager for two, and then a state manager for 10 years. and. It's a total blessing. I absolutely love the company to this day, it, but it was just, it was the right timing uh, with, in my life. Uh, I had some good coaching and some uh, mentorship uh, about that a little bit from our friend, Bob Berg. Uh, matter of fact, he's the one who of course introduced me to you to, to kind of make some things happen in that area. And it was a little bit of a relief, a little bit of an excitement because I was doing something new. Uh, and I was blessed that I had that as a choice. And a lot, I know a lot of people don't have that, and I was blessed in that way. A, a couple of questions on that because a lot of people who've been, you know, I guess you know, involved or in embedded in the corporate world or working for a company for so long, you know, it's hard to have that entrepreneurial mindset where I'm going to go off on my own without a, you know, consistent safety net. You might have had some safety net from your, you know, savings and whatnot, but the monthly stuff from a salary and commissions and all that from a company, much different than saying, okay. I'm going to now talk as a speaker or an author or a coach and people are going to pay me. What did you um, do to prepare yourself to go from uh, employee to entrepreneur? Well, in my case, the transition was a little bit easier maybe than it would be in some because in that 20 years with Aflac, I actually was an independent contractor. I was self-employed and as far as uh, most ways go, but it's also like any corporate sales structure too. Yes, I was self-employed, but there was always somebody with Aflac that I was responsible to and that you're responsible for your numbers and creating the success, but you don't really have that day-to-day -day management of someone else. And so I, I had employees of my own and I, I was very much entrepreneurial in that. And that's one of the things that actually attracted me to that career. And there are a lot of great companies in the insurance industry that have a similar model and they're, they're, they do an awesome job. Uh, but in my case, because of that, it was a little bit of an easier mindset for me to think, well, I can, I can work for myself and do anything. And because I had done it at that point for 20 years. And so the, the harder choice on that for me was when I first started doing that with Aflac, because I went from uh, being in a, a sales position where I was an employee and had a, a base plus commissions kind of thing going on and then made that jump. That was scarier for me, but again, it was the right time in my life. And I struggled in the beginning and I, I, I when I'm speaking in front of groups, I'll tell a little bit of, this, of my story about how in the beginning I struggled quite a bit, even moved my family from a nice middle-class neighborhood into an area where we were living in a mobile home and it was not a nice mobile home. <laughs> it was, it was the exact opposite. <laughs> Under a bridge by the river. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Down by a river. <laughs> but the, uh, 
it was it was a very difficult time uh, emotionally for me because I was feeling like a failure. And uh, I always, when I'm speaking, I, I use the branding of fusion points uh, now about finding that emotional and logical connection that will keep you going. And for me, that connection was my daughter's. I mean, the, the, the only true love at first sight that I've ever known in my life were for my two daughters, because from the moment I met them, I was hopelessly and helplessly in love with them forever. And it's just, it's always been that way. They've always had that, that safety net in me knowing that I'm that kind of person with them. But uh, they became that emotional connection with my logical plan. I literally carried pictures around in my daytimer back then of my daughters. And if I made a sales call and someone kind of was less than pleasant, didn't matter. I'd go back out to the car and I would look at this and say, I'm getting them out of the situation they're in now. I will do whatever I have to do. The line has been drawn in the sand. We're going to go kick rear end. We're going to do whatever we have to do to make sure their life is better. And so it's, it, it's, and it's to this day, it, it's yeah. funny with, with what I'm doing now, they've, they're adults. They're wonderful adults. They've got children of their own now. They're, their lives are good. So even though I still love them that much, that won't drive me every day because they don't need me to take care of them anymore. Right, so I have right. to refocus a little bit with what I'm doing now, but uh, it, it's just been such a wonderful, wonderful blessing on that. Amazing. I love that. We'll get to the new driver in a moment. When your kids, well, do, let me ask you a question. Um, do they remember the the mobile home and all that stuff or? They do actually, they yeah. do. And, and I'll tell the story uh, when, uh, one of the tougher things when we moved out of the house that we were living in, mm. uh, the the owner of the house we were renting, and the owner of the house did not live in the area, and he said, "Look, you can leave things in their garage until we sell the house, and that way you won't have to pay for a storage facility." He was absolutely wonderful to us, uh, but in the course of what was going on, uh, he actually that that realtor sold the house. And the realtor was supposed to let us know, but wasn't able to do that for whatever reason. And so the things that we had in that garage were given away to Goodwill. And most of it was not, not really a big deal, furniture and some things of that nature. But uh, my, both my daughter's bicycles were in there. And they were nine and five, I think, at the time that this was going on. And uh, as a father, when you have to tell your your <laughs> wonderful girls that you just uh, you, their their bicycles are gone and you can't buy them another one that day. That's a tough moment. And of course they remember going through that. They, they remember, uh, the, about, you know, six months later when I was finally getting my head on right and making more money and getting back on my feet, I, I took them to Walmart one day. They got home from school and I said, Hey girls, get in the car. We're going to Walmart. And I didn't tell them why. And we get to Walmart and I'm running them up and down the aisles of Walmart, just playing with them. I'm, I'm kind of not shy, so I don't mind making a little bit of a scene. And anyway, we get back to where the bicycles were. And I said, whoa, stop, look up there. How did they get those bicycles up there? And by this time, my oldest daughter especially was a little bit mortified. <laughs> it just made it more fun. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, my favorite day of my entire career life was right there in the middle of Walmart when I, I got down there, gave them both a big hug and a kiss and told them how much I loved them. And I said, guess what? You can have any bicycle in this store today because I can pay for it. Oh, my gosh. A little cheery. It's, it's yeah. uh, when uh, my oldest daughter would... Uh, before, while she was still in college, she'd come down in the summers and do some work for me. Uh, mm -hmm. She would uh, 
I would be speaking in front of the Aflac sales team, and I, it, on the last day, I would always tell a little bit of my personal story. And yeah. when my oldest daughter came in there, she and I both were just crying like babies because I was having a hard time getting through it with her in the room. And she was, it yeah. was just, it brought back a lot of memories. So outstanding. That is so touching. I love the motivation of the, of the, the pictures in the daytime. Yeah, we all had the daytimers. Um, that's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's sales one on one stuff for you and I, but. When you talk to these new people, the new people in the career, I mean, we've also seen a lot of shifts in the sales culture out there uh, from what Bob mentioned today in our, our group call about, you know, overcoming objections, things like that. What's the, um, if you had to give a new salesperson like three tips that you had like only five minutes to tell them, what would the three most important things you'd give a new guy in the sales career? First thing I would tell them is you cannot expect a six-figure income if you're only going to put in minimum wage effort. You've got to be willing to go out, get good at your craft, learn the craft, and then apply that. Uh, because you know, knowledge is not really power. You hear that phrase, you know, knowledge is power. Well, I'll call BS on that. Knowledge isn't power. The use and application of knowledge can be very powerful in your life, but that can't. Uh, then I would say to make sure in whatever you're uh, selling, Find something that you truly in your heart believe that your customer is better off by having that product or service on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, in sales, we get the greatest thing in the world. We get a situation where we have people that have a need, whatever that need might be. It's going to vary industry to industry, but people have a real need for your product or your service. And then you have a company that can provide that. And as a salesperson, you get paid for standing in the middle and making that connection happen. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to sell anyone. You need to ask the right questions. You'll know your market and you'll know what's going on. Then you need to ask the right questions and, and, and find out what those needs are and be genuinely focused on helping that person solve that issue with that company that you can put them together with. And when you do that, you will feel good about what you're doing. It will, that in and of itself many times will help create a good emotional connection with you with what you're doing. And it will truly just keep after it. It will help you keep after your career. And I guess if I were going to say the third thing, uh, uh, this is a personal one for me, but uh, work like it's all up to you, pray like it's all up to God and things tend to work out pretty well. So. But three, three important tips to use or ignore, but ignore at your peril, <laughs> ignore at your peril. Cause Jeff knows what he's talking about. So you had this, you know, great career at Aflac. You decided to go off on your own. You already had the independent thing going. Um, so it was the meant the mindset might have not been as, as dramatic as someone who's actually had a um, you know salary job, whatnot. Right. But it still it still had you had a brand new product. And you just mentioned something before, you're putting a company together and the client, and you have a, a vendor provider, which would be Aflac in your previous case. But right. now right. you've got your own product and service to offer. Right. And I'll tell you. If you want to know my quick story on that, but I used to sell telecom and um, I got a great article coming out about how I, I used a, um, a newspaper article in a postage stamp to make about a quarter million dollars on, on referral things. I was just giving the guy information that he didn't have and he invited me in, blah, blah, blah. It's a long story. It's not my, it's your show. But the I'm funny thing, a good time. Was, you keep going. <laughs> oh, no, it, it's it's a, it's going to be a fun article. I, I just I can't remember. It was, I was selling cellular phones, right? I mean, it was just. Eh. And now I forgot where I was going with it. Anyway, the, the point is when you, you know, give something of somebody else's, right? A client, I'm sorry, a vendor that you're working with, it can be great.
because you don't have to actually create the product. You just connect and another comp another right. department does fulfillment. And I had this company that I worked with, who shall I name nameless, who sold some of our telecom equipment, our services rather. And I worked up to about $80,000 residual with this, with this firm. Mm -hmm. And I'm like fat, happy. I've got one big client, a bunch of little ones. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. I'll go out and you know do some things here and there. But I didn't, uh, I didn't add any new clients for a year. Right. And then I got a letter one day. Hey, you haven't added any new clients for a year. Um, your residual is now terminated. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. I, I, sorry, no new business. You don't get the old money you earn anymore. And that was the point that I'm like, okay, I get how this works now. So I said, I'm not going to be beholden to anybody else. I'm going to create my product, fulfill it, maintain a service, whatever it is, and sell it. That was that gave me, you know, I'm not a control freak, but maybe I am. I don't know. <laughs> it, it could be true. For people who don't know, he just looked back at his wife on that one. Because <laughs> I, I said, I'm not a control freak. I'm not sure what your opinion is. I got a peanut gallery back here. Um, <laughs> So anyway, when you launched your own book and speaking career, so mindset was clear. That's easy. But what about the tactical side or strategic side of, of setting that up? Can you talk about that for a minute? Sure. It, it, I did the same process I did in sales my whole career. I started with a list of contacts. A lot of them were warm contacts for me. Uh, mm -hmm. I made initial uh I reached out to them initially. I did something you taught me, which was absolutely uh, perfect for what I was trying to do. I took my book that I was very proud of, but I sent copies of that out like crazy to people that I wanted to do speaking events for. You know, I would I invested the cost of my book, but I was getting thousands of dollars when I showed up. So, hey, good business move. <laughs> and so, I, I, you know, I, I remember being at a National Speakers Association meeting in Tampa. And uh, was sitting at a table with some people that I absolutely, totally respect and, and love that. And I said, you know, I said, they were talking about books and all this. I said, well, what's a good number of books to sell? And the, they had told me what the, the good number was. And I, I, I didn't say a thing because it would not have been appropriate. But uh, basically, because of a lot of the stuff that you did with me, and then when I would yeah. go speak in the books, I, was, I sold as much as they were talking about the first month. <laughs> so that was that was just a, a good coaching thing that you actually did with me. Mm -hmm. But it was just, the sales process is the same. The, the only difference in the original analogy that I was using, I'm not putting them together with a company and standing in the middle. I am the company reaching out to them. It's, but it's the same thing. I'm finding the needs. I'm helping them because my whole focus is I want to help them be able to attract and retain a, a salesperson that uh, will build such a bond with them that that salesperson's never going to go away because especially in the insurance industry, which is what I came from, but it's really true in any kind of commission based sure. sales. If your turnover is 80%, you are not going to make your 20% sales increases. It's just no. not going to happen. No. And so you've got to learn how to build a chemistry that, that brings people in and then makes them want to stay. And if you can do that in leadership, you've, you've got, you've got it beat. Yeah. Your, your math only works in the government. It doesn't work in the real world. <laughs> yeah, tracking 80 and getting 20. Yes. Oh, I, I, I wish I was with political show because I know we'd have so much fun. I, was, I mentioned I was talking to Lisa 
Uh-huh. And we went off in the libertarian thing for about half the show. It was like, ah, right. it was fun. Hey, there's uh, one other thing. When you yeah. were asking me about sales tips a while ago, yes. I will tell you the thing that made my life so much easier in sales. Mm-hmm. And I actually learned it when I read Endless Referrals by Bob Berg the first time. And it was how to position yourself as the connector between people. And people should read the, the, the Bob's book and, and get that. But the, the one of the processes that he really emphasized in that book was rather than focusing on yourself when you're networking or doing things, focus on, on putting people together that can help mm-hmm. each other and, and be known as that connector. And yeah. so what I started doing, I started doing that with my uh, accounts. Like I remember the first time I did it, it was a mortgage company in downtown Dallas, Texas. And I remember it was up on like the 21st floor of this building. And I sat down with the owner of the company and uh, I had called him ahead of time. said, Hey, I'd like to get about 15 or 20 minutes with you. He was already my client. I said, I really want to pick your brain about something. And so I got with him. And the first thing I did was I said, first off, let me thank you for being my customer. I make my living. I feed my family based on having good clients like you that I could work with. And, and it's a mutually beneficial relationship. So thank you for that, number one. And the second thing I want to do is I meet so many people in the marketplace. Uh, I'm uh, prospecting for new clients. I have a lot of existing clients. When I'm out there, would you please take a few minutes to tell me what I need to be asking these people to know if they would be a good referral for me to send to you. And I, it's so funny, Doug, when I, when I did that, he took off his glasses and he said, well, I'm going to answer your question, but I got to tell you something first. And I said, what? And he said, I've been in business 30 years. I've had a lot of salespeople ask me for referrals. You're the first to ever ask me how you could refer business to me. He said, I'll thank you for that. And I said, well, that's great. Anyway, so we talked about how to, uh, the questions I would need to be asking. And we actually even talked, uh, set up some monthly things at his place of business uh, where we would invite clients in for both of us. And so it was a, it was a good situation on that. Uh, but the next thing I did, though, is I actually, uh, and I recommend this to people when I'm teaching this concept, you generally will know a little bit about what your client's business would be. So you probably already have some good referrals in mind. And then what I would do is I would pick up my phone and I would call one or two right there sitting in front of them and say, hey, I've got a client uh, that is in this industry. He's someone that I know, I like, I trust. And I think it might be a good situation for the two of you to meet. Would it be okay if I give him your name? Of course, they would always say yes. And then I said, well, you can expect his call and uh, he, you need to meet this guy. And then I would just put, let, let it go with that. But what it does when you do that, it's, it cements a great relationship between you and your clients. And it also generates a ton of referrals for both of you because you both are so glad about this. You're referring business to each other right and left. And so it's a, it was a great sales thing that I learned from Bob Berg. Actually, I adapted you know, what he taught in this book for my industry. Yeah, we we could we could make a whole show about him and what he what he's done for us. I know that because we both, you know, just so, so grateful for the guy. Right. Um, which begs the, begs the question, Doug, tell me your story. Oh, I'll be happy to. So <laughs> when, I was, when I was at Nextel, it was a direct sales job. The top two guys at the company were both Bob Berg fans. We had read endless referrals and we had our, our entire business was built. All the guys in his office cold calling. I cold called for three weeks and when I was there for two years and I was done. 100% referrals. And I did adapt one thing on the same issue, issue of, um, you know, giving referrals. Not I've never asked for a single referral, but I built my business on it. Mm-hmm. And I would take like, when I'm people, I was with, with a guy, I'd say, hey, can you give me like 10 or 20 of your cards, please? 
says 10 or 20. Because yeah. And at the time, you know, he had a briefcase at the time. And I had a bunch of other cards in there. And I had a whole bunch of other people with 10 or 20 cards there with rubber bands around it. Right. He said, give me 10 or 20 of yours. Thank you very much. Oh, by the way, if you're looking for a plumber, you might want to check out this guy. If you're looking for an accountant, this is this is a really so I'll be giving other referrals right. And he see me, his cards go in and his cards come out. And he's like, oh, that's interesting, right? I use your line too of how could I, you know, send business your way. Right. But just doing that visually on the phone like you did or in a card, I had two guys. I was brand new, young guy, first, you know, first year in sales really. And uh, two guys who are now like our, our age at that point, you know, they had their old grizzled guys with uh, <laughs> this. One guy had, he was like a, a machine screw company, like one of the top 10 in the country. He says, oh, thank you very much. He's just a minute. He goes back to his printer, his dot matrix printer, right? And rolls this thing off. He hands me a stack of paper this thick. It's, this is my entire customer database from 30 years in, uh, in business. Call him and tell him I sent you. Absolutely. There were like 2,000 people in there. And then it happened two times where a guy for 30 years in business printed up his entire database, hand to me and says, mention my name. So yeah, I never made a cold call. Yeah. Like, yeah, TJ told me to call. It's brilliant stuff. Yeah. So yeah, endless referrals. We don't get a dime from Bob by endorsing his book, right? right. But uh, it changed my life in sales for sure. Mine too. Yeah, yeah good time. Um, all right, so I love your three tips. Um, I want to close out with um, a wacky story or something, um, maybe a, a story where, uh, you know, Sale didn't go through and it came through, or the first the first memorable story you have that would be uh, interesting for listeners. Mm. Uh, my favorite one to tell is is about a sales manager that I didn't uh, gel quite with. <laughs> I don't know if I should tell this on your show or not. Yeah, you're not mentioning names. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. I had one right. like that. I'm going to grab my phone because I need an illustration here. I had a sales okay. manager that uh, was more focused on. Uh, his life than he was on the life of the people that reported to him. Uh-huh. And um, he was not my favorite person. <laughs> and I had pretty much decided that if I needed to, I'd just get out of management. I didn't want to deal with him anymore. And he, uh, he, I, he was a great guy socially and he's a good person, but he was just that, that working relationship wasn't a good fit for the two of us. Yeah. And so one of the other district managers had, had said, you know, you need to get everybody together to let us air out our differences and we'll make this good. And so he agreed to have this meeting. He had eight district managers in the room with him. And he said, <laughs> he had a, he, he, he had a definite Southern accent. I do too. I know, but he had a definite Southern accent and it got, he went around the room asking, then he got to me and he said, well, Jeff, what's your problem with me? (laughs) And I said, I won't say his name. I said, Hmm, I only have one problem with you. You're a condescending son of a gun. Yeah. (laughs) My friend sitting next to me, looked down and went, Oh no. (laughs) But you asked (laughs) to his credit, he did. He took it well. He mm-hmm. didn't get upset. He said, well, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sorry. I really don't mean to be condescending. He said, my only problem with you, Jeff, is I can never catch you on the phone. Why can't I ever get you on the phone? And I went, caller ID. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so good. <laughs> and what I didn't know at the time is he had actually asked to be split. And he was giving away five of his eight district, nine districts, and I was one of them. So he really didn't care anymore. Anyway. Oh my after that, my career really took off. It was great. <laughs> and my, I will tell uh, one of my, my favorite stories as far yeah. as 
the sales process goes because sometimes salespeople give up too soon. You don't ever want to create a situation where someone thinks you're a, a pest or you're when you're trying to follow up with your mm -hmm. uh, prospects, mm -hmm. but you want to build relationships. And the uh, I remember calling on an account. Uh, this was first quarter, I think January, February of 1994, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had we didn't get the sale immediately. And, but we kept, we stayed in there and about eight months later, got just a little tiny window in the door. It was a school system. And so that was part of their benefit package. Got just a little tiny window in the door, but the next year we got the whole shebang and I went that I, I can't tell you how profitable that's been, but literally even that first year, I think I made like $75,000 in that account, which was a huge commission in that industry. And so, uh, never underestimate the value of following up and building that relationship because it was the relationship. I'm still friends with the person who made this, that decision today. We're Facebook friends and we keep in touch with each other. So yeah, don't forget that. So, um, so Fusion Points is the name of your company. The book is called The Unexpected Tour Guide. Um, what type of companies do you, do you normally work with now? I, I try to work mostly with uh, companies. I have two focuses really in my business now. COVID kind of changed things a little bit. So I started actually uh, adding an, another thing back in. I have the speaking part where I'm working with any organization with uh, leadership, uh, when they've got a leadership team that they're building, whether it's a sales or organization or a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking at a university in Alabama uh, and mm -hmm. it was a particular group and the leadership team for that group. Yeah. And so th that's part of it. Anyone that's a, a business that has to uh, have a leadership team, either in sales or in other areas that I'll work with them. Mm -hmm. I also love to work with small companies and entrepreneurs that are facing struggles with just finding the right talent and bringing them in and then keeping them. Uh, lots of times it's because of they can't afford to offer the employee benefits like a lot of other companies mm -hmm. can. I've got some solutions in that area. And then I teach them how to create that atmosphere where when people bond with you, they never want to leave you. Love it. Love it. So Jeff, how would I recognize a good lead for you? I got you first. <laughs> good lead for me was is going to be any company that has a sales team that needs sales, sales and sales leadership training or any small employer that is competing with the giants in their industry. Those are good leads for me. Okay, good. So do you have a, um, a success story of a company that really took off with under your tutelage? Uh, the, uh, I have worked uh, with a lot of different groups as far as AFLAC, different operations with AFLAC. Yeah. Uh, but the one I'm most excited about right now is actually the university that I just got, got through doing yeah. some things with. Uh, it looks like I'm going to be doing some things with their development team. They're, they're trying to raise $30 million in about five years, which is a huge goal for them. And it's yeah. through contributions and all that. I'm going to be working with them on that. It, it, it's, I get to pick and choose now. And so that's uh, yeah, nice. a nice position to be in. And, I, and I, this, this one has uh, multiple reasons that it's, kind of my favorite thing right now. So. Okay. Some personal stuff that I can sense it right off the bat. Yeah. And um, what can I do? What can I do on my end to help? What, uh, what do I need to be asking for you? I kind of know to, you so well. I know that answer, but I'm going to get that. Okay. We need to, we need to is, is unexpected tour guide an audio book yet? It is not. And if you've okay. got that's something you and I can talk about, if you've, you've got a, well, let's a way talk about it right now, because people can benefit from this. Um, okay. Jeff's story, the unexpected tour guide is a page turner. I mean, his own wife couldn't put it down. I rarely read a book in one sitting. I did on this one. And I, you know, as a publisher and, and marketing guy, I mean, I've read a lot of books. 
and I'm, I'm kind of a curmudgeon when it comes to them. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. Same old, same old stuff. But your fable was a page turner. I mean, it was it was that good. An audio, audio you know, the thing, and just some quick data points, but like, you know, print, uh, print books are, you know, flat or down 9%. Um, electronic books up a little bit, single digits. The last three years running, audio books have seen double digit growth rates. Wow. Double digits for three years running now. And this is partly due to the fact that we are embracing podcasting. You know, after many years, you know, I spent time in radio world and I, I was looked down on podcasting when it first came out. Not so much now. Hello, here we are. <laughs> but people are used to consuming and learning through audio. Hmm. And it's a, it's a huge benefit because I listened to Steel Fear on a, on a, um, on a road trip from uh, David Mann and uh, his book. And audiobooks are a great way, especially the fable, because you can listen to it in the background, yet the emotional connection you mentioned. I'm not taking notes. Like in some books, I can't listen to you know, some books and notes, but Malcolm Gladwell, Jeff West, audiobook. Very you important. And I, you and I will have to talk about that because if you've got sources uh, that you do that, I it's, would... it's it's not that complicated. The only complicated thing is that Audible and Amazon have this very, you know, they got like a 24 hour period to approve a, a regular book when it's uploaded. For some reason, audiobooks takes like a month for approval. Wow. And I don't know why. I'm guessing it's because they're always checking on the plagiarism side, right? They've got mm -hmm. things to scan that with CopyScape, well, whatnot. Makes sense. Tell you. But audio, maybe they don't, I don't know. I don't know the details. All I know that um, you, you've got a great, you've got to use your own voice. Oh, I will. There's a few people that I say, eh, get a narrator. Your voice, as you know, Mr. Storyteller, would be just, it's its, it's soothing and interesting. Well, so, I yeah, thought we that talk out about, uh, yeah. about doing that. And then I also want to get, I want to get some sort of, either royalty free music or some sort of music that I can legally use to go with it. Cause I want, I want kind of a, a jazz, uh, like a slow yeah. jazz feel to it. Like a new, almost like a, not a new Orleans style, but you, you get the idea. It's gotta be something that's between chapters yep. and some background music. Yeah. Yeah. So. With some leaves rustling in the background. It's great that there are, there are, I've looked into the, the music side in this, Jeff, there are millions of musicians, starving musicians that have right. wonderful tracks you can get for free or cheap. Um, I well, had like on, you know, on the trailer for the book that you've seen that's on my website, the, the, yeah. the trailer for The Unexpected Tour mm -hmm. Guide, the music there was exactly what you just said. It was someone oh, who... And I know a really good composer. Um, you just go to the mirror and look in the mirror. You'll see somebody there. Somebody, somebody <laughs> who's got some background in music composition. Yeah, but my hands do this now. It's not the same. <laughs> um, Beethoven was deaf. You can sit there and scratch it on a piece of paper. You can pull it off. Give it to somebody, say, play this. Um, the Ex Unexpected Tour Guide, folks, it's a wonderful book written by a actual author. Because I, I don't say that lightly. <laughs> well, you know, because we have, we have, we're a ghostwriting company. You know, a lot of, right. you know, a right. large percentage of our clients are brilliant people, but don't have the time or skill to, to craft stories and to write well. You right. do. So get that thing in audiobook. Yeah, we could chat more about it, but it's, it's not that complicated. Just, you know, okay. record it and upload it. Yeah, I had to have some produce it. I mean, I, I watched, um, um, you know, Oren Claff talk about his, you know, $10,000 microphone and a studio with a director and producer and all stuff. You could go down that road, but um, all you need is all you need is a good clear. You've already got a nice microphone set in the, in the spit thing. So right. get a good studio, record the book, have someone sweeten the audio, add the music later. You'll be all right. Right. Cool. Easy peasy. All right, folks. Um, Jeff, any closing remarks, tips, wisdom you want to leave with everybody? 
Uh, the only thing I want to say, and I, and it's because I know you won't toot your own horn to your audience, but uh, you have been instrumental in that, that especially that, that opening salvo of me going in this direction. And, and yeah. your help on the book was awesome. And I, I highly recommend, Doug, to any of you that are really looking into uh, the idea of having your own book and you need your own book. If you're, if you're going to be considered an expert, you do need that book. And Doug knows what he's doing. He actually is a good coach in this area. So I, I highly recommend him and I know he won't toot his own horn, but I'll toot it for him on this. All so, right. well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, uh, we'll talk again real soon. Sounds good, buddy. Okay. All right. Don't forget to click below, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, whatever works. Um, we look forward to having you on the show. If you've got a good story to share, this is Doug Crow from the Author Brand Show. You're going to want to take notes.